Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. But he said it's better for you that I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. That should get our attention. And so when we as a church gather, weird things can happen because the Holy Spirit is super weird. Have you ever had a personal trainer? There's great value in having somebody to help you focus your physical training and to reach your goals. Wouldn't it be great to have a spiritual personal trainer? Well, funny you should mention that because we do. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues the Freedom Series with Freedom in Christ, Walk by the Spirit. Let's join Dr. Corbett now. I've just removed the box of tissues from here because I'm going to try not to cry this morning because apparently that's what it, that's been happening a bit here. So Anyway, I want to be very, very clear. And what I want to be clear about is, firstly, I've brought to this pulpit some things that control the presentation, but I've, I've brought my Bible. And you might think, well, you're supposed to, you're a preacher, and I hope that's what you think. The last few weeks I've had um, a number of visitors, one um, apart from Kim, I've got to say, I keep referring to Pete as my best friend, and Kim says, excuse me. So Kim is my best friend, just to be clear. And uh, we have known Pete, who's the chairman of Prison Fellowship, uh, who I interviewed, and we'll show some of that interview uh, in, in good time. But um, Pete was telling me that in many of the churches that he gets to go to, they don't even mention the Bible. Like, it doesn't even get mentioned. I just think, what's going on? What is going on? How is this, in anyone's frame of reference, what is supposed to happen when the church meets? So if you'll excuse me for being just a little bit straightforward with you, and I hope that no matter what happens to me, that beyond my life, the, this church will always be committed to, to the Scripture. Always. Always. And, and not, in a, not in a way like um, I've had a number of people over the past month or two tell me, look, I'm, and they've contacted me and said, we're going to a church and, and, and they're saying things about the Bible like no one can understand it, like it's not understandable at all. And it just, for me, it raises all kinds of questions about why are people saying this? What is going on? When the Bible itself says it can be understood. And so we have these two words that I've used, and they're big words, please excuse me, perspicuity and perspicacity. And, and one of them means, they describe the Bible, by the way. Perspicacity, perspicuity. Persp it, it's so simple, it can be understood. In fact, that is generally not our problem when it comes to the Bible. The other one, perspicacity, is uh, perspicuity is in persp these two words. The other word is that we have a propensity to not have a problem with what it says, but what we want it to mean. That's the problem. Where it says something clearly, we go, yeah, well, I don't like that. What I, I, I want it to mean this. And that's not how we should treat the Bible. That's not how we treat the Bible. So in, in order to give you a little bit of background on this, I'm doing this, the series of Galatians. The big issue among the Galatians who were part of southern Turkey, there's the map, that's an ancient map, 
and it shows the ancient region of Galatia. And, and this is a region where these people were not Jewish. There were some Jews in the Galatian church. So when you read Paul's epistles here in the, in the New Testament, and I hope you do, that that's the region we're talking about, southern Galatia, the south of Turkey, modern Turkey today. And their big issue was that there were teachers that were coming in and saying, in order for you to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. And to become a Jew first, women have to wear a special head covering. They have to keep all sorts of rules and regulations. And men have to get circumcised. And you just think, well, how relevant is that today? Well, I mean, that, that's really not our issue, is it? Except that someone sent me this sign from a shop window, and it said this, closed due to personal circumcisions. Um, So maybe I'm more relevant than I realised. I just think. Now that is either, what do you call it when you type something into your text? And it's autocorrect. Someone's someone's not had autocorrect turned off, I think, or something like that. Or or it could have been the truth. Yeah, that, that could be. Oh, dang, I hate it when personal circumcisions happen. Um, so, it's like, so here we have, to, to give you the context of, of what we're looking at, because I don't want you to think this is that, that Galatians is so hard you actually cannot understand it or anything that the Apostle Paul said is beyond understanding. That is not the Bible. God is a genius. God is God. The Bible is actually all of it is actually baby talk when compared to what he knows compared to what we know. He's able to talk in baby talk. C.S. Lewis in 1944 was asked to speak to ministers and ordinance. These are people who were about to become they call in the Anglican Church curates. They, they will one day become a minister of a church. And he said, here's the first thing I want you to do. He said, I want you to be able to take all your jargon out and actually talk like real people. Just make it simple. So I'm going to try and make make what Paul's saying so simple. But I want you to understand this, that Paul, the whole theme through Galatians is freedom. And, And this freedom that Paul's talking about is not something I want him to say. It's not because I'm making him say it. It's because it's the word that occurs more often through this epistle than any other word that he uses. So it's this is not a hard thing. This is not me trying to be tricky. It's not me trying to say, yeah, well, he says that, but he meant this. Sometimes the problem we've got with the Bible isn't that we can't understand it. It's that we don't like it. And Paul's going to say some things in this section that we're going to see. And generally, there will be people here that won't like it. And if you want to uh, write an email like some do, uh, complaining, uh, send them to Vanessa. So, and she will forward them appropriately. So here we have Paul opening his epistle to the Galatians where he says, I've come in, I've preached the gospel to you. We heard Franklin Graham say it a moment ago, and I love Samaritan's Purse. I've seen them firsthand. I went over to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I saw their operation. I thought, this is a good organisation run by good people. I am proud that we're doing Operation Christmas Child. And as Deb said, you can make a donation, and it could be cash or it could be a toy. You may not be able to get all the toys into that thing, but you may be able to bring a couple of toys next Sunday and we'll 
eventually we'll get enough toys and we'll make some boxes up with it. That's that kind of thing. Whatever we do, it's going to be appreciated. But here's here's the thing. Paul says, I, I'm in, in Galatians chapter one, he says, I'm surprised that you've turned to another gospel. And then immediately when he says that, he goes, face palm. Well, what do I mean another gospel? There is no other gospel. The gospel that we are sinners in need of a saviour, the gospel that Jesus Christ bore our sin, guilt and shame on the cross and he died on that cross, a real, actual, painful death for us. And as history has gone on and we can look at things like the Shroud of Turin, which is absolutely amazing how many uh, scholarly reports are now coming out about the Shroud of Turin saying this is looking more and more and more and more and more like it's the real thing. And the Shroud of Turin has this, this is bizarre, nuclear radiation negative imposed onto this cloth. Now, a few years ago, I remember hearing people say, oh, I was a forger, it was done in the Middle Ages. And then someone said, How, what, what, where did the Middle Ages get X-ray technology? Because what we see when we see the photo of the Shadow Turin is actually the negative of what the cloth is. And it's absolutely bizarre. But the point here is that I heard a doctor, a medical doctor say, as a medical doctor, I'm looking at that image and I'm saying, that person has, has already started rigor mortis. Not just dead, like Princess Bride, mostly dead. No, he was like really dead, going through the death process of rigor mortis. And now for me, when I heard that, I thought, well, this might be true, might not be true, but that is amazing that he said, even if this isn't the actual Shroud of Turin of Christ, at least this is exactly what Christ would have gone through, that his body started to decay. No wonder three days later, when they saw him alive, it was such a shock. And we can't deny that and we can't try and apologise to the world for it. ABC TV can't turn up here and go, do you seriously believe that a dead man, dead three days in the tomb, rose again from the dead? That's ridiculous. And we go, yes, we do. Yeah, we actually do. And so what we're talking about is a gospel that Paul preached that just as that would have sounded absolutely bizarre to his original audience, and it sounds bizarre to an audience today, it is the truth, it is the gospel, it is what happened. And so I want to highlight a couple of things for you. When you get this, it's not just, wow, that's an interesting idea. It's not just an interesting idea. It's something that transforms your life. You cannot be the same. I remember hearing uh, a preacher in England when we were invited over there, and, and he said this, if you have been saved and the Holy Spirit has gripped you, you can't wonder if it happened. He said, in the same way, if you get struck by lightning, you're not wondering whether something's happening. Something's happening in you. Your life is being transformed. You begin to think different. You begin to see people different. Those people who you thought were pains, you realise they're not pains. These are good people. And everyone's got a story and you begin to realise people who carry on, they're not like Durian. They're not, they're not just pains. They've got a story. And you hear this story and you go, wow. God's been doing something in his life and God's doing something in their life and their life and your life because the Holy Spirit's transformed you. When I was a young man, I, was, I read a book by a great Bible teacher, not a good Bible teacher, a great Bible teacher. 
His, his name was R.C. Sproul. He went to Southern Americans. You, you've just been to Atlanta, Georgia. They, they like to use two initials for their name, like R.C., you know, Billy Joe and all. R.C. was his name. R.C. Sproul was his name. And he wrote the book called The Holiness of God. And that book transformed my life. I read this thing that R.C. Sproul said, and he said, you can't be flippant with God. Where he talked about the about communion like we did this morning. I was so thrilled with what John did. I didn't quite know where he was donkey going, donkey going, but but that was that was profound that Jesus chose an animal like that to come in as the king of kings into Jerusalem. And he t- he took something that might appear useless and he in quoting GK Chesterton's poem about the donkey that's that people just look at and think, oh that's a nothing animal. But Jesus chose a nothing animal and he chooses people who the world says and nothing and no one's as well. And here we are. Here we are. Profound, John. Absolutely profound. And R.C. Sproul said there are people today who are saying, why can't we use chocolate chip cookies and Coke to replace the bread and the wine? And I remember hearing R.C. Re- and reading R.C. Sproul saying, because Christ has made this ceremony holy. It's not a flippant, it's not an afternoon tea. It's a holy thing that represents his body his blood, and my goodness me, did that rock my world. And R.C. Sproul went on to write another book, a great book, just before he died. The Last Days According to Jesus. And this is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. R.C. Sproul, and he talks about how the creeds got it right. The Nicene Creed, from whence he shall come to judge. From whence he shall come to judge. The creeds say that, and R.C. Sproul points this out. And so it causes me to think, boy, we can't get flippant with this. And then we have a daughter by the name of Zoe, and, and when she discovered that there was a girl band by the name of Zoe Girl, they became her favourite band for a while. And the lead singer of Zoe Girl was a lady by the name of Elisa Childers who wrote this book. And Elisa Childers had uh, millions and millions of fans and was making millions and millions of dollars as a gospel singer. And when she came off the road, she went to a church and she hadn't had time to go to college or Bible school or anything like that, even though she was a Christian singer. Her biblical literacy was very shallow by her own admission. She went to a church in Nashville, Tennessee, and the pastor said, oh, you haven't had college? I'm running a home group every week here. If you come to this every week, over two years, you'll get, a, you'll get the equivalent of a Bible college education. She thought, oh, this is great. And so one of the first meetings she went to, this pastor said, you know that thing about the virgin birth? Yeah, don't know about that. You know that thing about Jesus being God in the flesh? Yeah, we don't know about that. You know that thing about Jesus being raised from the dead? Yeah, we're not sure about that anymore. And after a while, she went home and told her husband, this is what I heard tonight at these Bible study groups. That's what the pastor is telling us. And he said, no, no, you must have misheard him. Go back and ask him, do you believe in the inerrancy, infallibility of the Bible? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God the Son, not just the Son of God, God the Son? Do you believe there is a hell for those who do not accept the salvation that God offers? So she did. She went back, she asked him those questions. And he said, absolutely, I agree in the Bible. Absolutely, I agree, Jesus. Absolutely, I agree that there's a hell awaiting those who reject Christ. And then, then everything he said after that through that Bible study said exactly the opposite of what he just told her. And so she came home and told her husband, and he said, sweetie, it's not right to walk out on a church. We're not going to walk out on this church. We're going to run. 
We're going to run as fast as we can and get as far away from this as we can because that is nonsense and that is not the gospel. It's not the Bible. You, we cannot subject ourselves to this kind of lies and error. And so she ended up writing this great book, Another Gospel, Elisa Childers. I, I cannot recommend this more highly. Paul says, I'm surprised you've turned to another gospel, Galatians chapter 1. This book is outstanding. She's also just written another book about live your truth. Live your truth, where people say this, well, that's your truth, that's not my truth. And she says, what kind of truth is there if we've got different versions of truth about the same issue? And so again, Elisa Childers has done an outstanding job on that book as well. I'm saying this to say that as we look through Paul's epistle to the Galatians, we might think, well, these issues don't affect us today. But can I tell you, they absolutely do. Because we've got people who are trying to be tricky by adding things that aren't in God's word as if they were or should have been. And this is just nonsense. We've got people inventing teaching that they twist scripture to make and justify those teachings. And Paul is countering all of these things. I said to you that when I came out of the Anglican church, not came out of, I never really left, but my parents went there and we went there and that I was told Pentecostals believe in the Holy Spirit. This is the big difference between you know people like uh, Presbyterians or Anglicans or uh, Methodists and Pentecostals. And then as I was, and I said to you, I soon discovered it was way more than that. It was quite different. Because what we're talking about is something, and they showed me as a 16-year-old young man, I began to see Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals didn't invent the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in a, in a language that said, He who is with you, when I go, he will be in you. He won't just come upon you, he will come into you. As we heard Julie uh, say as we were introducing people or inviting people to be prayed for, the Holy Spirit is the difference between any religion and Christianity. It's not just Jesus. Jesus is a pretty big deal. But he said, it's better for you that I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. That should get our attention. And so when we as a church gather, weird things can happen because the Holy Spirit is super weird. He does super weird things. There could be someone here right now and you, you only you know what God is saying to you and doing to you right now and we may not even have a clue, but God's doing something. God's doing something. And so Paul is about to bring this home we're coming into chapter five and and paul is about to describe this freedom that we have and that's the theme of his book this epistle and i'm calling this walk by the spirit this is paul's theme in this section that we're going to have a look at from verses 16 on to the end of the chapter verse 26 of chapter 5 we as christians must have a really clear understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. You know, there is a sense in which when we give our lives to Christ, we do so because the Holy Spirit has brought us to that point. 
C.S. Lewis, I heard say this, and I thought that is profound. In fact, C.S. Lewis actually wrote an essay on the validity of Pentecostal Christianity. And I'm thinking, my goodness me, I don't remember ever reading this. And now I'm reading this going, this was a thing even in the 1940s where C.S. Lewis was warning his Anglican brothers and sisters, don't be too quick to rule this out. Don't be too quick to call these people enthusiastic or emotional or whatever word you want to use. Because we read in the New Testament that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church. And then we read that the Holy Spirit was active within the church. And there is nothing in the book of Acts that says there was a time frame on that. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he didn't say when that which is perfect has come, uh, comma, the whole 27 books of the New Testament, comma, that which is imperfect, that is the gifts of the Spirit, will be done away with. He did not say that. He did not say that the perfect was the canon of Scripture. I believe the 27 books of the New Testament are the canon, the standard, the uniquely inspired, inerrant, divine, infallible word of God. But Paul is not, at no point is he saying God would withdraw the Holy Spirit. And now he tells the Galatians that there is something that you experienced when you gave your life to Christ. That was a transformation enabled by the Holy Spirit. And it was C.S. Lewis who said, when we want to repent, you know the Holy Spirit has done that in us already. When we then say, I can't believe I don't have enough faith, C.S. Lewis said, then that's when you pray, God, give me the kind of faith I need to be a Christian. And he said, even that is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And you might be here thinking, I don't know that I've got this same experience with the Holy Spirit that you're talking about, Pastor Andrew. Then I'm saying to you, you also can pray, God, I want more. I want the Holy Spirit. And there's pictures in the Old Testament prophets where the water flows out of the temple ankle deep. We can be washed. We can have our feet washed. We can be saved. We can have the, the sin and shame and guilt of the world drop off of us and be saved and set free. But the prophet Ezekiel said, but keep walking. Keep walking. Get it up to your knees. Get it up to your waist. Get deep in the weird of what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. And so Paul here is telling the Galatians, you experience something, and this is what we need to know. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he convicts. He, the word is regenerate. And that's a word that you see in Titus chapter 3. Regenerate means to bring back to life that which was dead. The Holy Spirit fills. The Holy Spirit sanctifies we heard Joe preach on sanctification, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit takes us from here and takes us deeper into the river. The Holy Spirit takes us and moves us and sets us apart. That's sanctification. The Holy Spirit does that. And the Holy Spirit baptizes. And when we think of Paul's own experience on the road to, to Damascus, when he was knocked off his horse because of the physical appearance of Christ in his transfigured glory. The other men with him saw the light, but they didn't hear what was going on. And that's what I'm saying the Holy Spirit can do right now in you. You could be experiencing something right now from the Holy Spirit and no one else might know. 
But when Paul was knocked off his horse and he encountered the physical Jesus there, physically there, right there, speaking to him, and Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul because he was converted, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? He now surrendered to this Christ. Who are you, Lord? Kind of a question that he already knew the answer to. But Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You are to go to Damascus and I will show you what you need to do. And meanwhile, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to speak to Ananias. And Ananias is told, go and pray for this man that he might receive his sight and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9. Paul is saved, born again. There it is. Go to Damascus that you might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. A second experience with the Holy Spirit. And Paul was. So we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, if you've got a Bible, if you've got one of these things called a physical Bible, you, I encourage you to use a pen, a highlighter, because Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I want us as a church to walk by the Spirit. Already several people this morning have said either before the service or after the service, either prayed it or said it, that they want to be led by the Spirit. They want the Holy Spirit to guide them, to direct them, to teach them, to show them things they need to know. And that's the kind of Spirit-filled life that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of Spirit-filled life where we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, not just as an event that happened back then, but as a living, active, personal relationship that's ongoing. That's what Paul's talking about. As you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, Paul says, are against the Spirit. I want you to notice this because you might think, you mean I've got to stop doing stuff because the Holy Spirit tells me to. Sort of, but not really. Notice this. Paul is not saying it is a war between you and the Holy Spirit, he's saying flesh. And this is where we need to understand this word flesh. And I'll come to it in a moment because it could sound like he's talking about us, our body or whatever, but we go on in this thing. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And he says this in Romans chapter 7, where he says before he became a Christian, the things that he battled with, in keeping God's law, he really wanted to do it, but every time he failed, and then as a good Jew, he tried to keep it, but he kept failing. And now Paul is saying, I've received the Holy Spirit. Life is quite different now. Notice this word flesh. I just want to clarify it because Paul refers to it. It's not merely the human body. There were a group of people who said the human body was evil. They were known as Gnostics, silent G. They said we have to punish our bodies. The monks in the Middle Ages would do, who believed this kind of thing would do really, really weird stuff. Um, there's a, an etching I saw where the monks believed that if they ever had any sexual desire, any sexual desire at all, they had to punish their body. And there's a, 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 an etching that survived through to the present time where there's this monk who decided every time he had a, a lustful thought, a lustful sexual thought, he would burn one of his fingers off. And, and the etching is he's down to his last stump of a finger. So he must have had a shock and thought life. Or 
He was a normal person who was trying to battle with something that was not his battle because Paul says, the spirit doesn't war against you. It wars against the sinful desire that you have. So the flesh refers to our unregenerate heart. That means that thing that says, God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Paul says the Holy Spirit will fight that tooth and nail. That is, that is not what God wants you to do. He does not want you to be someone who is trying to do this on their own. And so to walk in the Spirit is to live prayerfully with a heart that seeks God's heart. God, I want, I want to hear your heart. I want to feel your heart. I want to be led by you. God, help me to do that. I want to hear your voice. Walking in the Spirit, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. This is the cry of the believer's heart. And that when we do sin, and John in 1 John says, if we sin, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It means that we as believers will fail. We will sin. We'll do things we shouldn't do. We'll do things we will regret. And we can come to him quickly and say, God, please forgive me. I turn from that and I, I confess it to you. Help me, Lord, to live the way you want me to live. That's what David did. King David, he was a scoundrel at times. But that's what he did. And the Bible describes him as a man after God's own what heart. So unlike the law, which is called the Torah, which acted like a prosecutor, a policeman, a prosecutor, the Holy Spirit's not like that. The Holy Spirit is like a personal trainer, comes alongside you, puts his arm around you, speaks quietly to you, tells you what to do, what not to do, convicts you when you do the wrong thing, but doesn't beat you up calls you back onto the straight and narrow. Paul says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the law, Paul says, they're evident. The works of the flesh are evident. And he starts off with this thing that we should not play games with. You've heard from this pulpit many times over the last few weeks the danger of playing around with sexual immorality, particularly pornography. It is an insidious thing and it is a gateway to the demonic. Paul lists sexual immorality first, the next thing is a sexual thing, it is impurity, and the next thing is also a sexual thing, sensuality. Don't play games with it. We need to have a wholesome view of sex and sexuality. We need to see that this is something so sacred, it's not to be trifled with. He then says some pretty amazing things, because the next thing is idolatry, the second and the, well, the second of the Lord's uh, Ten Commandments, idolatry. And then this one is really super interesting. It's sorcery. And I need to just pause here for a moment to tell you that the, there is a Greek word. I won't do this for everything, but I'll tell you the Greek word here. Because in the, in the sorcery of the first century, that is witchcraft, what was done to induce 
an opening to the demonic was herbs and spices that had hallucinogenic effect and they were known as, here's the word, pharmakeia. That is the Greek word, pharmakeia. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It's where we get our word pharmaceutical from. You wonder, does the Bible condemn smoking marijuana? No, the Bible calls you a fool if you do. Does it condemn LSD or taking ice? Again, it says, these are the works of the flesh. Don't do that. And so we should not be playing games with this. But now, having shown you the gravity of the things that Paul says, these are the works of the flesh, the next few words should stun you because of those things that open up to the demonic. Now he says, look at the next words, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Can you see why the church is so precious, so valuable? Can you see why Jesus said, if you have a brother who you have something against, go to him and get it sorted out because those things, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions are works of the flesh. They are gateways to the demonic that will cripple a person either with bitterness, unforgiveness and stifle the life out of their spiritual walk with Christ. Do you think... What Paul said to the Galatians 2,000 years ago is relevant today. You bet it is. Each of these works of the flesh are gateways to the demonic. They are not to be trifled with. He hasn't finished his list. Envies, drunkenness, orgies. And just in case he left some out, he says... And things like this, which boggles my mind. I don't even want to go there thinking about it. And as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wowzers. I mentioned C.S. Lewis a couple of times this morning. I've been doing a bit of a deep dive into his writings of late and I mentioned that he was asked to speak at a particular conference he was asked to speak at a conference and do a Q&A session with people and the Q&A session was someone asked him which religion makes a person the happiest he's speaking about Christianity the Q&A session was about Christianity and he's asked this question I'm thinking is this person for real who's asking this Of course C.S. Lewis is going to say the religion of self will make you happiest because you will make yourself your own God and you'll always please yourself and thereby make yourself the happiest. He went on to say this, and if if that's your goal to be happy, I do not suggest to you Christianity because there will be things that God will ask you to do that will not make you happy at all. He will ask you to do things that are hard. He will ask you to deny yourself. He will ask you to do things like put the other first before you. That won't make you happy. If happiness is your goal in life, don't pick Christianity. But do pick the Spirit-filled life because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I think this was someone's favorite verse in the Bible, as we heard last week gentleness, self-control against such things, so he hasn't listed them all, 
There's no law against these things. But notice the first one was love. And love is wanting the highest good for the other. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us considerate. And you know that the Holy Spirit has got quite a job to do still in me to bring about the best example I could be of that. And so pray for me that I want to I be that. I don't want to be inconsiderate. I don't want to be someone who is so obsessed with what I'm going through that I'm not considerate of others. And I want us as a church to be encouraged to do the same. The believer has their life transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's a daily thing. The Spirit enables us to both repent and to discipline our life. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is what I mean by don't choose Christianity if you want to be happy all the time, but do choose Christ if you want to know a joy that will last beyond the grave. Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wowzers. Back into Galatians, Paul says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. And desires. There is a sense in which we have to say no to ourselves in one sense. Because those desires that we have, not every desire you have, by the way, is not every urge you have, every desire you have is good or beneficial. It, they're not always good or beneficial. You can't say, we, I can't deny my desires. Yes, you can. I can't deny the way I feel. Yes, you can. And spirit-filled life involves crucifying the flesh and as a transformation of desires. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians, that if we live by the Spirit, he says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see the progression? It's not a standstill. It's a progression. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. There it is again, envying one another. Let us not do that. Let us not become so arrogant that we think we're right. I mean, some of us know we are. I have a T-shirt my brother gave me. I don't know why he gave it to me. It says, I'm not stubborn. It's just that I'm right every time. I don't know what he's trying to say. Probably, I grew up with this guy. I had to put up with that. That's probably what he's saying. <laughs> Paul says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is out of his epistle to the Philippians, Philippians 2.13. What a beautiful thing. You walk with the Spirit, your desires will change. You may not think they can now. You may not think that those bondages that have got you in their grip can be snapped off. But he can do it. Those living the Spirit-filled life become obvious by how they help, how they treat how they respond, how they react 
If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 12 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, to walk by the Spirit is to live prayerfully with a heart that seeks God's heart and voice that is empowered to repent. More from Dr. Corbett next week as we continue in Galatians. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Thank you.